Hey, welcome to episode 117 of Scar Bearers. I'm Chris D.T. Gordon. As always, it is fantastic to have you here with me today and with me in a technological sense are Nate and Britton Barron helping me out on the back end of the channel. If you want them to help you on your technological projects, please reach out to them at Nate Barron. Well, folks, it is in the throes of summer as you're hearing this, and we're even starting to think about that S-word, school. But, you know, it's not a bad place as long as you, we have, you know, a, a strong, supportive atmosphere. And one way to do that is to have an increased sense of gratitude, positivity, and resilience. And if I can help you establish that within your school or organization, please reach out to me at chrisdtgordon.com so we can start a conversation, maybe even stop by the merch store, grab your favorite, what is your favorite dinosaur t-shirt? Always a great conversation starter. And you might find someone who doesn't have a favorite dinosaur and you might help them figure out what, there is, what theirs is. And that's cool. So stop by chrisdtgordon.com so we can start a conversation. Well, speaking of a conversation, I'm joined by my new friend and NF brother, Gabe Leishke. Gabe, how are you doing today? I'm really good, thanks, Chris. How are you? Oh, I'm, I'm really excited to talk with you because not only are we uh, brothers from another doctor, uh, and as we're talking today, it is, in the States at least, National Necrotizing Fasciitis Awareness Day, but... We're both athletes, though I think you are a more powerful athlete than I. I mean, you are a triathlete, correct? No, I'm actually a track cyclist. Oh, cyclist. Okay. I, I knew that the cycling was part of it, but I think we I talked was, about... Look, it was confusing because prior, straight after losing, after losing my arm, I, um, I did start some long-distance running. Um, oh, yeah. but it's kind of not really accepted in the cycling community. So I can't that. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So I, I apologize for the confusion, but yes, uh, you're an excellent cyclist, but yes, you mentioned the uh, loss of your arm. So if you wouldn't mind, uh, please share your story with us. All right. So basically November, early November, 2020, I was in the gym. I was in the best shape of my life. Well, I also thought I was in the best physical condition of my life. I was then. Um, and basically, I was doing a bicep curl and I ruptured my bicep. I uh, hyperextended my arm at the bottom of a preacher curl and snapped it. And uh, <laughs> loud and very painful. Uh, rushed to the hospital. They sent me home because having your bicep reattached is elective surgery. Oh, wow. Uh, so I was stressed out about that. I was kind of kicking myself saying, I'm going to have to have like eight or 10 weeks off training. And I was miserable about it. Um, and then my recollection of events from thereafter kind of like it's lost, but I know what happened. And this is what happened. Three days after the rupture, I had the bicep reattached. And then subsequently, you know, I was complaining of swelling, infection, fevers, 
a delirium, um, rushed into hospital three days later. So, you know, the necrotizing fasciitis, unfortunately had a fair bit of time to take hold of me. Um, and I was put into a coma for 10 days uh, where they did 11 major surgeries. Um, and initially, you know, they, they chopped my arm below the elbow and with some hope that they'd keep the elbow, but it was so aggressive. So it just kept eating me um, above the elbow. And then basically all the flesh on my residual limb and the right side of my chest is, you know, was removed. Um, and so I woke up on the 23rd of November and then, you know, in the critical care unit for quite a while, um, at least 10 days after that. And then I was kind of a bit of a pain to the nurses and doctors because I was harassing them about leaving. Mm. You know, I just, like all I wanted to do was train and go to the gym. But um, unfortunately, you know, I'm sure as you know, it's not that simple. Um, but one of the, I suppose, connected complications with the coma was that I had an esophageal stricture. Okay. Which basically means that my stomach acid ran up my esophagus, scarred it, and constricted it to two millimeters wide. Oh, wow. So when I woke up, I was trying to drink water. I couldn't, I literally couldn't even have a sip of water without it getting caught and throwing it back up. Mm. Um, and so I had a skin graft on New Year's Eve. Uh, so that's what some 35, 40 days after waking up. Um, and then following that, I was unable to eat any solids. You know, I was, I was almost 100 kilos when I went in. I was bodybuilding. And when I woke up, well, by the time I got out of hospital, I was about 70 kilos. Wow. So if for our uh, friends in the States, that's going from 220 pounds to about... 150 give or take yeah that's yes. a lot. <laughs> um so you know complete deconditioning um and obviously you know i've only got a left arm now and i was right hand dominant um so i was with a partner at the time and she was kind of looking after me at her house but at some point i kind of felt far too dependent and um you know I kind of, it got to the point where I just had to go home and be alone so I could try and figure out what kind of independence I was going to have because, you know, lose, the loss of an arm early on, you know, I, you know, obviously I've never thought about it before. So I had no idea what life had in store for me. Yeah, um, I mean, it, I mean, I didn't lose my arm, but I had... I, I didn't have use of it for a while. And at that point, you never realize how much you depend on something until it, you know, you, it's gone or you can't use it. And yeah, I can imagine not having it back. Oh, absolutely. And, um, and I suppose I went to, I had rehabilitation at the hospital and I think I was a little bit too much for them. 
because I think they're used to kind of amputees, not many upper limb amputees in Australia. I think the states have got, you know, the larger number of upper limb amputees. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, I was the first upper limb amputee that the, the rehabilitation staff had ever seen. And I think they were more used to kind of diabetics who had lower limb loss. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of harassing them about being there every day. You know, what can I do at home? Because I had, you know, maybe one or two inches of range of motion in my residual limb because the scar tissue had just gone all through my joint. Yeah. Um, so it was a really, really painful process to kind of get my residual limb moving. And they told me that I wasn't going to have full range of motion. But through, I suppose, a lot of hard work and pain, I got there very quickly. Um, and they sort of discharged me from rehabilitation much earlier than they'd assumed. They got sick of me kind of running around and telling them what I can and can't do. <laughs> um, yeah, I think, I think they say they, they give that lower estimation. I, I think it's, you know, to be on the safe side. But also, I think they to some of us who are competitive, it's like a dare, you know, because they told me, well, at most you'll be able to feed yourself with your right arm. And before, you know, a week before I had gone into the hospital, I had run a 5k in under 19 and a half minutes. And so I'm like, uh, no, that's, that's not going to hold. I'm not going to, I'm not going to use my arm as a feeding tool and that's it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, it's a challenge. You're right. You know, you tell me I can't do something and I'm going to see how fast I can do it. Not only mm-hmm. that I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it rapidly. Yeah. Um, but I suppose, you know, in that, I suppose it's worthwhile mentioning that I had previously been through a similar deconditioning where I'd lost 30 kilos in a coma Um probably three years prior, mm-hmm. I had a condition called epigliotitis. Um, I'll just gloss over it quickly. Basically, the junction between your airways and your throat, it swelled up and closed both my airway and my throat. They intubated me through the nose for 10 days. I woke up, my throat was still closed over. I was fed intravenously for three weeks after that. And I lost 30 kilos as well, complete deconditioning as well. So I had kind of built myself up from that baseline zero before. So when I was kind of at this baseline again, I thought, all right, I can do it way faster this time. You know, I've got one (laughs) up, but it's a new challenge. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're like Christian Bale, you know, who's, you know, in that method acting Maybe you should go into acting because you're you're putting your body through all these different changes. Might as well get paid millions of dollars. Yeah, look, for it. look, it's a thing for it's crazy. Yeah. So, um, but so how did that? Well, you know, since you said that you've already been through that situation where your body has gone through a rapid change, how did that affect your mental state when you lost your arm? Well. It's interesting. Uh, so I kind of, I've struggled with mental health my entire life. Like I've been, I've, I've, I made myself a victim to 
previous traumas from childhood, from my adult life, and I'd never dealt with it very well at all. Um, you know, I have lots of bouts of depression where I didn't, I, I didn't understand these traumas, so I didn't know where it was coming from. Um, you know, low motivation. I wouldn't go to uni. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be going to the gym. I wouldn't. I would just be lying in bed. Um, and so, probably, excuse me, a year before necrotizing fasciitis, I kind of got on top of it all, and I was in the best place of my life. Um, and I was fit and, you know, I've been bodybuilding for a long time, but I was starting to get into boxing and I was really on cloud nine and I'd been running around telling everyone, all my friends about how happy I was and how I was never going to go into this depression phase ever again. Mm. So when I woke up, I was kind of, there was that dread. The main thing that I was worried about was that I was going to head back down that path of depression when I was so happy and confident that, that that wasn't going to happen to me anymore. So again, it was like a challenge to me. It was like, okay, well, you know, this is the ultimate challenge. You know, you've had a, you've had a serious loss, and if you can get through this without being kind of depressed and kind of letting it go, then I'm, I've conquered it. Um, but and I suppose it worried me so much because I had this rehabilitation to do. I'd lost this 30 kilos. I had no range of motion in my arm. And I knew that if I had let my depression take over and lay in bed, the doctors would be right. And I would never get that range of motion mm. in my arm again. And it would take such a long time, you know, so, so sick. I still couldn't eat. You know, it took me six months to be able to eat solid foods because mm. they 12, 12 surgeries on my throat, basically stretching it out. So you, so you uh, had 23 surgeries from this whole situation then? Yeah, 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 wow. yeah. Um, and so I, more than anything, initially, like, obviously there was that shock when I realized that I'd lost my arm because I didn't mention this before, but when, when I woke up, you know, the ultimate confusion, lots of drugs, Hayes, you know, like the doctor came in and told me that she, that there was an infection and that they removed parts here. And, and I think I was just not in a very good frame of mind. She probably did say it, but I didn't realize. And it wasn't until three days after I woke up and looked in the mirror and I'd had this loss. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was a shock, but I was kind of, I was determined, you know, like I knew that if I, I didn't have time to think about myself or my mental health or, or I didn't have time to breathe. I had to get over this initial hurdle of getting my arm moving and getting eating and getting back to training. And then I could maybe address my grief a little bit later on. Yeah. And, and I, I suppose this, I think that was a really good choice, except I think, Three months after I went into a really, really bad spot. Um, I was still, you know, I was still getting up and going and I was moving. Um, but every single day I woke up and all I could think about was death. You know, I wouldn't say that I was suicidal, but, you know, that's suicidal thoughts. Well, it's classified as suicidal thoughts as I've read. But... Um, and it, and it was scary, you know, because I hadn't, I had seen a psychologist at the hospital 
but they basically just told me that I needed to relax and not put so much pressure on myself when I I work well under high pressure environments. You know what I, mean? I need to put pressure on myself to perform. You're a bodybuilder. That's what it's all about. It's all about pressure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I kind of, I, I shied away from that. And, and then when I was in this down period of, of misery, I, I did reach out to a, psycho, a psychologist. But by the time I got to see them, which was some, you know, it was about a week after I came out of that spot, um, which I'm actually really glad that I dealt with by myself. And, and then to go and speak to them about consolidating those gains that I'd made to be in that kind of positive place. So interestingly enough, you know, early on, there were positives because I was so grateful for cold water, you know? I was so grateful for my dad and my friends and air conditioning and cars and all of these basic amenities that we just take for granted in the developed world. Um, like I remember the first shower I had, which was some almost two months of not showering. And it was oh wow one of the best things in my life. Yeah, you know, I found that when I was going through my ordeal, that that's what really got me out of my funk and you know what I call my personal bacteria. They had taken all the NF away, but I still had personal bacteria because at a time I had all these questions and no answers. And yeah. through a conversation with my wife, I was able to figure things out and, and see all those areas of gratitude that I actually had. And so that, you know, that is such a huge game changer when you can see that there are so many things around you to be thankful for, to be grateful for that your life doesn't have to be perfect for it to be great. Exactly. You know, I, I wholeheartedly agree, you know, I, and this, is something that I live by and I believe that happiness is a choice. Mm. Um, and that's far easier said than done. And it's taken me a lot of anguish and hard times to reach that conclusion. Um, but I'm incredibly grateful that I have reached that conclusion because um, I've, I've developed a kind of very powerful tool of reframing negative scenarios to make them work in my favor. Can you please share that? Because I'm very interested to hear about it. Okay, so um, a, a perfect example is, okay, six months after I lost my arm, I had a very dear friend called Steve and he was very close to finishing medicine and he was very invested in my recovery. Who, a very close friend of mine, and he passed away six months after necrotizing hmm. uh, fasciitis. And um, he, you know, that was, a, that was, you know, the biggest loss of, it, that hit me far harder than any necrotizing fasciitis did or any loss of a limb. And I was kind of pretty miserable for a couple of weeks, but then 
you know, I, I thought, you know, he used to be, you know, a massive like bodybuilder. He was like 140 kilos. He tore his pec benching over 200 kilos once. And wow. he, he strived for the pursuit of excellence always. Mm-hmm. And so I thought about this and, and I, when I was able to do it, I almost felt cold because I had removed my sadness from that scenario and I'd gone, well, he was so invested in my recovery. He pursued excellence. You know, he was, he played guitar. He was a first aid rower in school. Like he, he wanted to do the best of everything. And I thought, I knew that he wanted the best for me. So I thought, you know, I've lost my friend, but what can I do to honor him? And that is to pursue something amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a really powerful tool for me that I drew a lot of strength from, you know, initially going, oh, I've lost this support and it's really sad. But then I go, hang on, no, that support, I can still use that power. Um, and I suppose, you know, that, that's one example, but I suppose to my arm, I... And I, and I reframed it like this, right? Six months before I lost, I, six months before the accident, I, I wasn't competitively bodybuilding um, because I didn't really like the scene. But I remember complaining, I was, I was boxing and I wanted to fight, but I remember complaining to a friend saying, I, I haven't won any trophies. Um, and I'm, you know, I was 27 at the time. And I, you know, I'm getting on a bit to get any real trophies of value, but you know, now I've lost my arm. Now I'm, you know, the life, the lifetime of a para athlete can be, you know, extended a little bit because of, you know, athletes that cop trauma. So I thought, you know, I had to, I had to change my passion from working out in the gym and boxing because exercise is the most important thing in my life. Yeah. So. I thought, you know, what can I do? And I went to this, I went to a cycling, you know, I, I, I started running, I ran a 10K three months after my skin graft. And, and I was so happy about it, I suppose, I suppose, and I suppose in context, how I reframed it was, it was a, a massive point of pride for me that I had to get up and going straight away i'd had this i had this trauma and this loss but it wasn't going to keep me down not a chance um and and i suppose that's that was a great source of strength and inspiration for me as well especially comparing it to previously when i deconditioned and i got back but i didn't like it was nothing like this time like i have full gas and i've gone through and i've just been so appreciative of my motivation and the different places that I draw strength from. And I think it's taken me a long time to kind of admit this. And and I don't think it it wholeheartedly applies, but I am happier now than I have ever been. That is huge, Gabe, because, you know, having the realization that you may not be whole physically but you are more I want to say more whole 
but you, you are, as you said, happier now. That shows an immense amount of growth internally. Absolutely. The post-traumatic, yeah. post-traumatic growth is a beautiful thing. Yes. Yes, it is. And I have a couple of things to say. First of all, I, I always wondered if I had lost my arm, what would running be like, you know, with that lack of, you know, uh, com- compensatory weight. So what is it like to run with, you know, uh, one less arm, one fewer arm? I think that initially I, my balance was bad. <laughs> it was very bad. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I, and, but I think that I got the hang of the balance part very easily, but as my core developed, you know, obviously staying tight through your core while you're running is key. Um, as soon as I developed those core muscles, then I don't really see that much of a difference. That is, that is very profound because I, I coach soccer or football uh, and I, I work with uh, 13 and 14 year olds and a lot of them, they don't have that core strength and you can really see it with their kicks and their running that they're, they're just sloppy. Yeah. And so yeah. it's, you know, that, that is, it's nice to hear that, you know, that core strengthening, you know, did help you out because yeah, for those of you who are not athletes listening, if you want to become an athlete, one of the first things you got to do, you have to do is strengthen your core. It controls everything. Yeah, and so, absolutely. yeah, that, that's interesting to hear you say that. Um, and secondly, even, you know, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, and even, you know, like the core has become much more of a focus on the bike. And even though the running's a little bit frowned on, I was in the gym maybe six or seven weeks ago and I decided to jump on the treadmill for some sprints. Um, and my core, like I've been doing a lot of resistance work with my core and it's very strong. Obviously, riding a bike on the track, I do it with, or I did before a prosthetic of any kind, one arm. So coming out of a start gate, I don't know if you know what that looks like, but you go from stationary and you basically have to pedal as hard as you can. And, yeah. and yeah. that requires a lot of core strength. So I saw this massive core, you know, this core strength increase. And then I tried, to, I ran and I was running at 23 kilometers. Sorry, I don't know what that is in my I'm trying to do the, uh, so that's almost, uh, let's see, two thirds. It's like 16 miles an hour almost. And, and I'd never, like, I've never been a runner. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and I yeah. just did that. My core was stable. My, my leg cadence was high and I felt very comfortable doing it after not running for six or seven months. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that, I suppose that cascade effect of having that core strength was amazing. Yeah. And another thing I'm extremely grateful for That is, uh, you know, that's interesting that you had that, uh, you know, that speed without running because, you know, they, they are similar, but there's still, you know, mechanical differences between the two disciplines. But uh, that's fantastic. You're able to find that success there. Do you have any races coming up, uh, cycling races? So I've 
So I was initially, when I first started cycling, I was introduced to my last, my first coach. And he was an amazing man. And, and he was really important to me um, because he, his right arm was paralyzed from a motorbike accident 20 years ago. So he was the first person that I'd ever met that had the use of only one arm. So it was, it was a very important thing for me. And the way paracycling works is most paracyclists kind of, they kind of spread themselves across a lot of different cycling disciplines. And that's sort of what I'd been doing, but I didn't have an endurance background. So I was trying to build endurance um, and I was doing races, I was doing criteriums, I was doing road races and struggling because, you know, I, I never had any doubt that I could get there, but it didn't really work on any of my background. Um, and then so recently I have made a change to sprint, like sprint focus on the velodrome, which is much more what I'm all about, um, gym stuff. But the problem with this is, is that there is not many racing opportunities for para-athletes on the track. Okay. Um, so there's a couple of road races coming up, but I have some exciting testing and things in, in the pipelines that I can't really risk injuries. So unfortunately, I'm stuck on the trainer and the weights room and, and what's not really unfortunate because I love it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that I've got some important testing in about four weeks. Um, and hopefully after that, I can get back into some road racing. Well, I totally understand where you're coming from that, you know, there aren't a lot of events, you know, it's kind of like a, a second pandemic, you know, it's like, oh, not a lot going on right now. But it's exciting to know that you have those avenues and those opportunities coming down the line uh, so that's i'm very excited for you gabe and i'm excited to hear how things go with that uh go with those um what else is going on in the near future for you well i've actually so i was about two weeks away from finishing a civil engineering degree when i contracted necrotizing fasciitis and i think i jinxed myself because i remember saying to someone I'm about to finish, like, this is real. Like, I can't believe this. This has been a long time coming. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> and I said the fatal words, something's gonna happen. Sure enough. Um, but, you know, a product of being in coma for that period of time, my memory probably for the six months leading up to it is fragmented. Um, so I tried to go back to do, I was writing a thesis, I tried to go back to do it, but I didn't. I sat down and I started changing it and I ruined it completely. And um, so I gave up on that, but now okay. I'm in a much better place. So I'm currently studying for my last exam and I started a new piece of research, um, a new thesis because I, I couldn't deal with the pain and the turmoil of trying to go back over. Yeah kind of memories of those fragmented memories, which is quite a trigger for me. Yeah, I understand. Well, good luck on finishing that thesis, that new one. Uh, if you might, if you don't mind me asking, what's the title? Uh, suicide in the construction industry. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, 
because my major is construction management. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I've kind of, I used to work in the industry, so it would be more of a, a subjective kind of interview-based bit of research. Very interesting though. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in learning about it. So, I mean, if you ever want someone to read it over, please uh, keep me in mind. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely. Be um, before we start wrapping up, I do want to let you know that you said that you were, you know, you're in your late twenties uh, and you're feeling yourself, you know, getting up in age. I'm 47 and I just earned my first degree black belt in Taekwondo. So don't Love put that. yourself, don't put, don't put age limits on yourself. Oh, interject there. I was, I put in, I was the age limit I put on myself was prior to arm loss. Okay. Or I call it Armageddon from my yeah, friends. Armageddon. Yeah. Um, and, and then now, I, now those, there's no thought in my head that I'm kind of getting on, even though, you know, I was at the velodrome training last night and one of the athletes was, I was talking to him and we went to the same school and he mentioned that, um, he mentioned the teacher's name and he said, oh, you know, he's a bit older and a bit more calm now. And I said, you know, I'm not that much older than you. And it turned out I'm 10 years older than him. So yeah. it was probably right. <laughs> but, I, but I don't like, I don't care. Look, cycling's what I'm going to do now. I do really have a plan to get to Paris for the Paralympics. Oh, wow. Um, but then after that, look, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty keen skier too. So, um, I don't, I don't want to stop. And I definitely want to be carrying on into competitions well past your age. Yeah, well, I hope so. I hope you do, my friend. I hope you do. So as we are wrapping up, I like to ask my guests, what is something that they, looking back, would never have thought that they would be thankful to have in their lives, that they actually are blessed to have, you know, in their experience? I suppose at the risk of sounding arrogant, um, my willpower, my willpower and my strength to get up and get going and that ability to make a positive out of a negative. No, I don't think that's arrogant at all. Because, you know, we are survivors and if we didn't have that, we might not have survived or survived as well as and, and progressed as well as we are now. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm, pr- totally, I'm very proud of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's arrogant at, at all. Okay, where can people find you if they want to uh, contact you? Uh, you? Look, you can reach out to me through my Instagram, Gabe Leschke. Um, that's probably the best way. I do have Facebook, but I don't check it very much. Okay. But um, look, I'm I'm pretty keen to have a chat to anyone that wants to, you know, hear more of my story. That sounds great, and we'll definitely put that in the show notes. Really quick, Gabe, what is your favorite dinosaur? Now I know that you know you saw an answer to this question that I've done already, and it might not be what you're looking for, but it's all my right. dog, my dog is 14. All right, so. She's my little dinosaur and she <laughs> is the absolute love of my life. So I would feel like a betrayal if I said anything but my dog, Boo Boo. Well, that's all right. I, I appreciate that. 
And so say hi. I'll say hi to Boo Boo. And Gabe, thank you so much for your time, man. I really appreciate getting to know you. I'm excited to learn more about you as time goes on. So thanks a lot. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Chris. I'm pretty keen to stay in touch. So I really, really, really appreciate you having a chat with me today. My pleasure, my friend. So folks, you can reach out to Gabe with his Instagram. It's in the show notes. You can reach out to me at chrisdtgordon.com. Let's start a conversation about how I can help you increase your gratitude, positivity, and resilience. And also like, subscribe, share all that stuff and spread these messages of hope and inspiration to help others out to make the world a better place. So with that, thank you very much for joining me today. Please have a great day. And remember to pass on perfection and go for greatness. <laughs>